0: Hey everyone, I'm Megan and you are listening to Secrets in the Cornfield. Welcome back to this week's episode. For those of you who have an interest in the true crime community beyond this podcast may have heard of or know about the murders in Delphi, Indiana. In February 2017, Liberty German and Abigail Williams were found murdered in a wooded area off a bridge trail frequented by locals. The details surrounding this case was very unique because there was audio and video footage captured of the suspect, yet it had gone years without an arrest. That is, until October 28th of 2022, when Richard M. Allen, a resident of Delphi, was arrested and charged with the girls' murder. Now, I bring up this case because many have speculated, and still do to this day, that the person responsible for the murders in Delphi could have also been responsible for an eerily similar unsolved case in Iowa, which we will go further into today. So let's get started. In July of 2012, two young girls took off for a bike ride in their small Iowa town in the middle of the day. Hours went by and the girls had not returned and seemed to have vanished. Later that afternoon, items belonging to the girls were located but it would take five long months to find them, and the killer or killers remain unknown. These are the murders of Lyric Cook Morrissey and Elizabeth Collins, also known as the Evansdale Murders. July 13, 2012 started out as a typical summer day in Evansdale, Iowa for the Morrissey and Collins families. Heather Collins had errands to run in nearby Cedar Valley. Drew Collins owned a landscaping business and left early that morning to get his work done before it got too hot. And Misty Cook Morrissey had to work at a convenience store in the Elk Run Heights area of town. Ten-year-old Lyric Cook Morrissey and eight-year-old Elizabeth Collins and Elizabeth's younger siblings were being watched that day by the girls' grandma, Wilma Cook. Heather and Misty were sisters, so Lyric and Elizabeth spent a lot of time together and were very close. In fact, if you would ask family, they acted more like sisters than cousins. Now, one of the things that I found while researching this case is there are so many reports and timelines that they tend to vary. So the best I can tell is sometime around 1130 a.m., Lyric and Elizabeth had asked to go for a bike ride. The plan was for the girls to go on a quick ride and return shortly after. Lyric knew that her mom would be showing up to pick her up around 1 p.m., and Wilma assumed they would want to come back to the house to get something to drink and eat lunch before Misty showed up. Wilma said she watched the girls get on their bikes around 11.30ish, and she claimed they were always close by to the point that they could always hear her or she could always see them. This also wasn't out of character for Lyric and Elizabeth. They rode their bikes around town frequently, but family said they always stayed close to home. So around noon, Drew Collins was done working and stopped at an auto parts store before heading home. He had called to check in and was told that Lyric and Elizabeth hadn't returned from their ride yet, and he wasn't worried at that point. But when Heather returned home around 1230, and Lyric and Elizabeth still weren't back, that's when the family began to worry. So, the family got in their vehicles and went driving around town looking for the girls, but couldn't find them anywhere. Now, Evansdale, Iowa is a small town located along the Cedar River, and at this time had a population of about 4,700 people. And the town itself was only an area of about four square miles so there were only so many places they could go. By 2.38 p.m., they knew something was terribly wrong and decided to contact police to report the girls missing. So again, Lyric was 10 years old and described as being 4 foot 11 inches tall with brown hair and blue eyes. Elizabeth, as we know, was 8 years old and was described as being 4 feet 8 inches tall with brown hair and brown eyes. Now, I will say this for police. They took this information seriously right away. They didn't try to tell the parents that they were probably at a friend's house or something along those lines. So the family continued their search along with additional efforts from law enforcement. And around 3.30 p.m. that same day, Lyric and Elizabeth's bikes were located. They were found on the southeastern side of Myers Lake on a nature trail, but many also referred to it as a bike trail which surrounded Myers Lake and was about a mile away from the Collins home. Now, when I say nature trail, it was slightly different than what most people would think because even though it did surround the lake, the trail also cut through parts of town and intersected with some of the streets. So keep this in mind because this will be important later on. Along with the bikes, Elizabeth had taken a purse with her, which was found about 20 feet away and tossed over a fence off of the trail. In the purse was a cell phone. However, there had been no cell phone service on it, as the girls had mainly used it for games. But one thing that is important to remember is even if a cell phone doesn't have cell phone service, it still would have had capabilities to dial 911, which it would have had back in 2012. By that same evening, police had pulled in people and questioned and cleared approximately 10 registered sex offenders living in Evansdale at the time. Over the weekend, hundreds of volunteers searched for the girls by land, water, and air. People searched a 12-mile radius in and around Evansdale. They ran sonar boats over Myers Lake, and even the mayor of Evansdale flew his plane equipped with infrared sensors over the town looking for any sign of Lyric and Elizabeth. People searched fields, buildings, and even truck beds, looking for the two cousins, but found nothing. On Monday, July 16th, FBI brought in two scent dogs to help in trying to locate the girls. The dogs had used scent pad samples taken from the girls' shoes, and according to sources, they had picked up a scent trail, However, FBI spokesperson Sandy Brialt declined to say what was discovered from the dogs. One of the parents of Elizabeth and Lyric, though it's never specified which one, said the dogs ran around Myers Lake and stopped at the water's edge. So based on this information, which was the best lead they had at the time, police, going off the assumption that the girls had gone swimming and drowned, began draining the five-acre man-made lake in search of them. By the time draining began, the lake had already been dredged and hundreds of volunteers had swept that area over the previous weekend. Now there's a few issues with this. Myers Lake at the time had a swimming ban, so the community knew they were not allowed to swim in the lake and there were no articles of the girls' clothing found on the trail like socks or shoes. Even if the girls, for sake of argument, tried to enter the water, whether they knew about the swimming ban or not, They would have taken at least their socks and shoes off to enter the water, but again, none were found. Even with this information, police, along with the help of the FBI, decided to drain the lake looking for the girls. They knew going in that it would take at least three days to complete. Well, three days went by and divers entered the deeper pockets of the lake that were as deep as 20 feet. Police then came forward and said they were confident the girls hadn't drowned in the lake. That makes you think about the fact that the bikes in Elizabeth's purse were found near the lake. But according to Black Hawk County Sheriff Rick Abin, he basically said just because those items were found there doesn't mean the girls were physically near that lake. Family, including Misty and Heather's sister, Teresa, said they had told police from the beginning that they felt the girls were abducted. The girls were solid swimmers and it made no sense for them to even go into that lake let alone drown in it. So police then shifted their investigation, and now they started to focus on the parents. Heather and Drew Collins really didn't have any personal issues under the surface, but Dan and Misty did, which caught investigators' attention. Now, at this time, methamphetamine was a big problem in the community, and sadly, Dan and Misty were caught up in it. Both had been either currently facing charges or had previously faced charges of manufacturing and selling of drugs. Details surfaced that both Dan and Misty had multiple drug conviction charges in the past with serious involvement in aiding and running a methamphetamine drug ring. Misty had just been released from prison on May 30th, less than two months prior, after serving time for illegal drug use, association with persons involved in criminal activity, excessive alcohol use, and failure to comply with drug testing. Eight years before that, in 2003, Misty was sentenced to four years in jail after pleading guilty to conspiracy to manufacture and distribute meth. Other arrest records with Misty go all the way back to 1997, and Dan was facing charges himself of drug possession in which trial was scheduled to take place in September of 2012. He had gone to court and pled not guilty on July 12th of 2012, the day before Lyric and Elizabeth vanished. Now, as these details are coming to light, claims start to come forward that Dan and Misty were starting to back off from the investigation. According to them, law enforcement's questioning of the parents went from typical to aggressive, and they felt they were being targeted due to their past and being told they were withholding information pertinent to finding the girls. Dan even ended up storming out of a long interview with law enforcement after claiming they flat-out accused him of killing Lyric and Elizabeth. Law enforcement involved in the investigation to this day have denied this. However, it is certainly a possibility this was done, and yet officials just won't admit to it. After all, this is in fact an interrogation technique which is not out of the spectrum of possibility. Now, to be fair here, and the reason why I chose to include this in the podcast, is because until more is known, it is entirely possible that Dan and Misty's drug affiliations were directly linked to Lyric and Elizabeth's vanishing, even without Dan and Misty knowing it. You can't assume when you are dealing with people involved in drugs that they are all good and have well intentions. It isn't absurd to think that they let the wrong person they trusted into their circle and too close to their family, including their daughter and in turn their niece as well. But Dan and Misty said that they had been fully cooperative with law enforcement, which included polygraph tests. Now, according to Misty, her first polygraph came back inconclusive, and she would later take a second one on July 24th of 2012, in which she says she passed. They even said they provided police with their cell phones, names of their drug associates, and all questions by police up to a certain point. But Dan Morrissey said that didn't stop police from pointing the finger at him behind closed doors. A couple days after this information gets released to the public, the FBI comes forward and claims evidence points to the two girls as being alive, and that they were going to be expanding the search across state lines. This information came from FBI spokeswoman Sandy Brialt. She refused to say what led police to believe this, and in fact, to this day, no one working on the case has ever provided any information on what led to this speculation, but also at the time declared that they would be expanding their search beyond the state of Iowa. This information came just one day after police had publicly announced that the girls had been abducted while riding their bikes. Four days later, on July 25th, surveillance video of the girls was released. It was a few seconds of blurry footage which showed Lyric and Elizabeth riding their bikes with a timestamp of around 12:15 p.m. on July 13th. The footage had come from a security camera from the backside of a store called Letterman's Big and Tall Clothing Shop. After hearing of the girl's disappearance, the owner of the store decided to check his surveillance camera and when he found footage of the girls, he immediately notified police. The store was located on Lafayette Avenue, but with the camera on the backside of the building, the store was located on Lafayette Avenue, but with the camera on the side of the building, it showed that the street the girls were riding on was Broven Boulevard. and was only a few houses down the street from the Collins home where the girls had originally taken off from. For those of you who are on the Facebook page, I will include a photo which shows the location of the store and the Collins home, which was 166 Broven Boulevard. Now, at one point, the girl's grandma said the girls had gotten on their bikes at 11.30 a.m., but then she said she had last seen them at around 12.15. There has been a large amount of speculation by people that Wilma may have gotten her times wrong and that the girls didn't initially leave the house around 11.30 but, it is certainly possible Wilma checked outside as the girls were riding by, and after passing the Collins home, that is when the surveillance camera captured them riding. The footage of the girls shows them going west, which would be away from the Collins home and away from Myers Lake, but certainly nearby. So again, that could account for Wilma's timeline and a possibility that something happened to the girls sometime between that last footage and when the family got in their vehicles to start looking for them. This also gave further credence to the fact that the girls did not drown in the lake. With very few leads in the case, and in an effort for one last hope to see their girls alive again, on November 13th of 2012, exactly four months to the day after Lyric and Elizabeth disappeared, Heather, Drew, Misty, and Dan wrote an open letter to the girls' abductor or abductors, begging for them to bring the girls back to their families safe, which read, To whom it may concern. We would use your name, but we don't know who you are. Or maybe we do. Maybe you are someone who knows the girls. Maybe you are someone who just acted upon impulse. Maybe you plan to take them. We don't know, because we don't know who you are. But we can sort of imagine that you must have not had the things you needed to grow up feeling safe and loved, because only someone who hurts inside would hurt another person and their family. We've all heard the saying hurt people hurt people. We believe that is true. We are so sorry for whatever happened to you when you were growing up. Certainly, all children do not receive all the love and care they deserve. Some are even abused by those who are supposed to have taken care of them. When that happens, it is very wrong. Taking the girls from us has caused much pain. Pain for them, pain for us and our families. Since the time you took them, maybe you've wondered more than a few times how you could ever make it right. How to be a hero, not a monster. Things probably look pretty hopeless for a good outcome. We want you to know that we are praying for you to do the right thing. By releasing the girls, everyone wins, even you, the person who took them. Imagine how it will feel to have everyone remember that you were the one person in all the missing children cases, the one person who cared enough to let the girls go. You will not be remembered as the one who took the girls, but as the one who let them come home. Our lives have not been the same since July 13th. Please let our girls come home to us. Do the right thing. Be a hero. Sincerely, Drew and Heather Collins, Dan and Misty Cook-Morrissey. But the hope for the girls' safe return would come to a screeching halt on Wednesday, December 5th, 2012, when hunters found two decomposing bodies in Seven Bridges Wildlife Park in Reedland, Iowa, about 20 miles away. Seven Bridges Wildlife Park covers about 125 acres and is a popular spot for hunters and outdoorsmen. Seven Bridges is at the end of a dead-end road and was definitely off the beaten path, which would mean whoever took the girls there would have to be familiar with the area to know that it's there. Upon discovery of the bodies, police believed right away they were the missing cousins because there had been no reports of any other missing people in or around that area, and police said the bodies were small in stature. The next day, it was confirmed that the bodies were those of 10-year-old Lyric Cook Morrissey and 8-year-old Elizabeth Collins. Now, autopsies were conducted in the investigation, but no one other than law enforcement, not even the girls' parents, knew their cause of death or any details of their autopsies, which leaves many, many questions the sources that I found estimate their date of death as the day they were taken, July 13, 2012. Meaning, if the girls had been in the wildlife park for five months through summer, fall, and the start of winter, we have no idea the condition of their bodies and what evidence police were able to gather at the scene. Heather told reporters that she and Drew did not go to see the girls' bodies, so they have no idea of their condition, but according to Heather, Misty did. According to reports, it is certainly likely the girls had been out in the elements in Seven Bridges Wildlife Park and remained undetected for many months. Hunting season at that time didn't start until October, and depending on how deep they were in the park would make sense on why during hunting season it still took a couple of months for someone to find them. In May of 2013, about six months after the girls were found, the first potential suspect surfaces, a man named Michael Clunder. Michael Clunder was a registered sex offender who had abducted two girls from Dayton, Iowa as they got off the bus. Clunder had killed himself the evening of the day he kidnapped the girls. On May 20th. one of the girls managed to escape, but the other, 15 year old Kathleen Shepard, ...couldn't be located. Kathleen was later found murdered, and when police had found Clunder's body, he had Kathleen's blood on him, in his truck, and her blood was also found at a hog facility where he he had originally taken them. So officials began to retrace his steps to see if there was any way possible he could also be responsible for the deaths of Lyric and Elizabeth. So I can imagine the community and families are impatiently waiting for investigators and hoping for answers to see if there was a possible link to this man who had already taken the life of one girl and whether he had taken two more. But while that was going on, please take another turn. Just one month later in June, the public finds out about an unknown vehicle seen near Myers Lake on July 13th. So I actually wonder if this could have been a direct result of investigators comparing Clunder steps with that of the girls on July 13th, but the public never really finds out. But what is learned is that there had been two witnesses within a couple of days of Lyric and Elizabeth going missing, contacting police about a white SUV type vehicle parked on Arbutus Avenue between 1130 and 1230 on the 13th. Now, if you remember, the nature trail cuts through town, and one of those streets it intersects with is Arbutus Avenue. And Arbitus Avenue is the closest street by the section of the trail where the girls' bikes and the purse had been found. Then they say there was a third witness who had come forward in April of 2013 saying the same thing. The police said they were looking for a Chevy Suburban, a Ford Bronco, Or a vehicle similar to that. No one knows as to why this information wasn't revealed earlier on in the investigation, especially after police had agreed the girls had been abducted. But the best I can tell, the eyewitness accounts had potentially been missed, and it wasn't realized until they went back to the full case file to determine if Michael Clunder was responsible. This gave the family a new optimism that this information was going to lead to an arrest. But nothing new came to light, and about a year after the murder of Kathleen Shepard, officials determined that Michael Clunder wasn't responsible for Lyric and Elizabeth's murders based on the fact that after retracing Clunder's steps, he wasn't in or near Evansdale on the day the girls were taken. So that rules out the first and only public suspect in the case, and nothing new comes to light. Misty resurfaces in the media after new drug charges emerge, but no new information about the girls for about a year. In August of 2014, the Evansdale Police Department launched a website dedicated to providing updates about the investigation and to release a character profile of the suspect. The character profile pointed out, The offender is familiar with both Myers Lake and Seven Bridges Wildlife Park. The suspect chose seven bridges because he or she was familiar with the area and knew it was secluded. The offender blends in with and may be part of the Evansdale, Bremer County, which is part of Reedland, or the surrounding communities. It is unlikely that the offender is a transient or someone who is merely traveling or passing through the area. The suspect likely used quiet coercion to gain the girls' compliance into leaving Myers Lake using a ruse or threats of violence. The offender may have been experiencing stress related to legal troubles, spousal problems, employment difficulties, financial strain, or mental health issues in July of 2012. The offender may avoid discussing the case or showing interest in the matter, but is likely following developments in the media. The offender may have attempted to abduct children or adults in the past. Following the girl's disappearance, the offender may have altered his or her physical appearance, such as changing hairstyle and facial hair. The offender's vehicle may have also been altered with a new paint job or reupholstery. Although there was a valid effort and police continued to receive tips, nothing panned out, and everything kept leading back to square one. Eventually, the website was shut down and no new suspects or arrests became known. The next major event that sparked public interest in the case, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, was the murders in Delphi and Niana. The DCI spent a substantial amount of time looking for any connections between the two cases. The fact that there could be more than one individual abducting and murdering young girls in the middle of the day and stay under the radar is a very hard thing to comprehend. But based on details of the bodies and the crime scenes, certain patterns would reveal similarities, and investigators felt confident that person or people responsible for Lyric and Elizabeth's murders were not the same man from Indiana. By the time the investigation was five years in, police had interviewed more than 1,000 people and had looked into more than 300 registered sex offenders, and all avenues had left them empty-handed, until authorities came across a man by the name of Jeff Altmeyer. On July 12, 2017, almost exactly five years to the day after the girls' disappearance, the public learns that Altmaier was being charged with trying to entice children in the counties Jasper, Monona, and Grundy in Iowa, and it was discovered that he had assaulted two young girls. It was reported that he was offering them $100 to get in his van. At this time, his occupation was a traveling automobile damage field inspector, so it definitely looked as though Altmaier may have been a good suspect. But nothing else is released linking Altmaier to Lyric and Elizabeth, whether they were able to rule him out or he is still considered a person of interest. And please can't rule him out, we just don't know. The sad part is there are many child predators that are living among us and they may not be very easily caught. There are individuals who fantasize and never act, but there are also individuals who fantasize and act. But there are circumstances where they only commit one crime and never do it again, making it that much more difficult for them to be caught. One of the examples I think about is the murder of April Tinsley from Fort Wayne, Indiana, who was abducted and murdered in 1988. Genetic genealogy identified her killer in July of 2018 as a man named John Miller. After investigators confirmed his DNA was a match and approached him, He admitted to killing April and was completely genuine when saying that he fantasized, saw April, saw his opportunity, and killed her. He hadn't killed or assaulted anyone before April and hadn't killed anyone or assaulted anyone after. So sadly, it does happen, and we have to accept that he is not the only one out there like that and remain vigilant from predators. As of today, we have no idea what evidence the police have in the investigation, but July will mark 11 years since the girls were taken. The family's relationships have distanced over the years, and both the girls' parents' marriages ended in divorce. Murder cases of children is a very tough one for me being a mom, but because of what I do and the fact that it is unsolved also puts these cases at the top of my list. I hope that police have evidence and DNA testing is going to be an option in the near future. As of today, there is a $100,000 reward being offered leading to the arrest of the person or persons responsible for Lyric and Elizabeth's disappearance and death. So if you have any information regarding the disappearance and murder of Lyric, Cook, Morrissey and Elizabeth Collins, you can contact the Evansdale Police tip line at 232 6682 or Cedar Valley Crime Stoppers at 855 300 8477. Thank you for listening to Secrets in the Cornfield. Tune in in two weeks for a new episode. Secrets in the Cornfield is a Spotify for podcast original. Sources for this episode can be found in the episode description. You can find the show on Facebook at Secrets in the Cornfield Podcast. And you can also send an email at sitcpod at gmail.com.